Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about helping moms discover who they are outside of motherhood. I'm delighted to welcome special guest, Megan Edinger. Megan is a mother of three and the host of the podcast, The No BS Mama. You can reach Megan through Instagram, and I'll include a link in the description. Welcome, Megan. I'm so glad that you could join with me today. Linda, thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. I am delighted. And we had a lovely conversation on your podcast, The No BS Mama. And I love what you're doing. Thank you so much for helping make parenting a little more realistic rather than this uh, Facebooky type of view. Now, you were kind of thrown into parenthood a little bit early. Would you mind sharing your story? Yeah, of course. Um, so <laughs> I actually got pregnant my senior year of high school and it did work out. I'm now married to my high school sweetheart. But at the same time, the organization that my parents worked for, they both worked for the same company, moved from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to Wellington, Delaware. And so my family, I'm the oldest of five, decided that they were going to relocate with the organization versus finding a different job. And as it worked out, they ended up moving the day I graduated from high school. So my initial thought was I'm going to go with them. But my boyfriend at the time wasn't comfortable with that. He really wanted to be involved with, you know, raising the baby and all of that. So the day I graduated from high school, I packed up my stuff and moved in with my boyfriend. And, you know, my world went from, you know, my schedule being dictated by sports and school and my mom to, you know, now having to care for this baby and figuring out my own schedule and my own like the way the world works. And I had him shortly after I turned 18. So I turned 18 and then two weeks later he was born. And he was a relatively easy baby by, you know, he didn't have any colic. He wasn't ever really sick. None of that kind of stuff, just normal baby stuff. Right. But I was always tired. I was always run down. I wasn't feeling great. I was overweight compared to what I was before. And I just accepted that this is what motherhood looks like because society tells us that, you know, you're supposed to be tired. You're, you know, of course you're tired. Of course you're, you know, not super happy all the time. Um, and so when I went back to my appointments, you know, six weeks later, my doctor asked me, you know, the questions for, you know, are you, are you sad? Are you this? Are you that? Of course, my answers were, no, I feel great. Everything's fine. Um, because that is the acceptable answer. You know, so I didn't feel comfortable saying, no, I don't feel good. Yes, I think I do need help. Um, I didn't say any of those things at the time. And lucky for me, I didn't have a severe case of postpartum depression. And I was able to acknowledge it myself and find some ways out of it. But unlucky for me, I do struggle with anxiety and have always. And I was more recently diagnosed with clinical depression as well. And so while I knew that I've always had anxiety, I didn't always have the vocabulary for it, but I knew that that was a part of me from the time I was little. Um, the depression diagnosis was a surprise, actually, and I had a lot to learn about it. And I had a lot to learn about myself in the process because I didn't even know what, like the, one of the questions is, you know, have you lost interest in things that make you happy? And it's like, well, I don't know what, I don't, what makes me happy? Like, I don't even know what makes me happy in the first place. How could I have lost interest in it? 
Um, and so I really had to go on a journey of self-discovery while raising, you know, three kids, being married, having a job, dealing with depression, all of that. Um, and so I'm happy to say that I have found things outside of motherhood that, that do fill my cup and that do bring me joy. And, um, I still do take medicine for depression, but outside of that, everything has really, um, I've healed a lot and I'm much more proactive in the conversations that I have. And now my mission is to just share my story so that any other moms who are feeling like this know that number one, they're not alone. And number two, feel encouraged and supported to go to their doctor and ask for help and be honest when loved ones or doctors or whoever ask them those questions. That's huge. I think that first step, I, I don't know, there needs to be a first step and maybe different people have different first step, but I think it's being honest. Um, part of being self-aware is being honest with ourself and being honest with other people. So when someone asks, I mean, here you are, you're right there. There's some help available. Uh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't need any help. I don't. Yeah. Why, do, why do you think we do that? <laughs> um. I don't really have a great answer for that. I think for me, it was just if I accepted help in that moment, it was acknowledging that like I wasn't a good mom or that I couldn't handle it um, or that I wasn't strong enough. Like all of those thoughts for me is what fed my um, desire to pretend that this wasn't happening to me. I love that. Thank you for sharing. And I would agree. I think it's the feeling of almost failure. Like I have mm -hmm. failed in some aspect of my life or I wouldn't be here. And so if I admit to it, I am admitting to my failure. And I, let me just fix myself first and, and then I can talk to people. And I really think, especially in situations like depression and anxiety, you cannot get out by yourself. We need help. We need the help of someone. And I love that you were brave enough to get some professional help because that is precisely what you needed. But if we have listeners who are not ready to take that step, there are other people in our lives that we can at least reach out. We need some friends. We need someone that we can go to. We need to create a support group because it's not something that you can do on your own. I had um, someone on my podcast recently and she shared this advice and I've been sharing it ever since because I think it's so great. Um, to really not only know yourself, but to know your support network. So if you need help getting your laundry done, there is someone in your support network who is really good at that. And they'd be happy to pick your laundry up off your front porch and deliver it back to you tomorrow, washed, folded, and ready to be put away. Um, you have someone else in your network who is really good at listening and giving advice. Um, you don't want to call that friend to come help you with your laundry and you don't want to call your laundry friend for listening and advice, right? So knowing who's good at what and when, you know, who to call when um, is also very helpful. And so that requires you to be aware of yourself and your own needs. What do you need right now? But also to be aware of the strengths of the people that you love and who love you back. That's huge. That is absolutely huge. And what you're describing and creating and understanding your support network, that matters so much. In one of my books called You Got This, An Action Plan to Calm Fear, Anxiety, Worry, and Stress, I have that in there with a, a diagram of this is how we do it and this is how you get the help that we need. Because a lot of times when we're in a situation, our mind goes blank. It's like, okay, am I not, I, I'm overwhelmed. My laundry pile is huge 
and it, and it's a problem. It's in your face. And yet when you think of who, who can I go for help? It's like, there is no one. There is no one on this planet who can help me. I am entirely and completely alone. And then, um, if, if we can, if when we're in a good moment, if we can write those things down, then we'll have access to it when we're in the bad moment and we actually need the assistance. So beautifully done. Thank you. And I love you're talking about one of the things is figuring out who you are. You were thrown into so much, so young. And I just applaud you for doing as well as you have and being able to pull through. You know, we can do hard things and we don't enjoy doing hard things, but we find out we can when we have to. And you had to and you did. So well done. Now, I love that you're sharing with people, we need to figure out who we are. A lot of times when you ask someone, you know, who are you? You know, we respond with our profession or our relationships. And it's, you know, I am a mom, I have these kids, or this is my job. And we don't think of anything beyond those things. So how do you help people realize we have an identity beyond those things? Yeah. Um, Well, for a lot of us, we had an identity before we were a mom, right? Um, And that person still exists inside of you. Um, She might need things a little differently and she might have different interests than, you know, pre-motherhood you, but there's still a piece of you that desires that, um, it's not necessarily independence, but just something that is just for you that has no connection to um, your ability to provide for someone else. Um, and so for me, it's, um, I teach group fitness classes. I do my podcast. Like those are the things that are for me. Um, for other people, it's, you know, they love to cook. They love to dance. Um, it could be very small things like that, or it could be, you know, big things like like a dream you had when you were a little girl that you kind of let go of because it wasn't necessarily the responsible thing to do. Um, if that is still within you, you can pursue it still. There's no reason why you can't pursue those things that were once important to you. Isn't that wonderful? Sometimes we have to remind ourselves what is important to me. And I remember when you were telling your story and you're like, okay, what are your interests? Like, I don't know. Do I have interests? Because we get to that point, or many of us do, I know I have, where it's like, my needs are so far removed, it's actually easier to just pretend that I don't have any. In fact, I forget what my interests and desires are or what matters to me. So I think that it's wonderful to give ourselves permission and you are giving people permission. I don't know why we need permission, but somehow we do to say it is okay. In fact, it's better for everyone involved when you feel fulfilled. And we feel fulfilled when we do things that we enjoy and things that matter to us. And what I have learned is that as a parent, when we take care of ourselves, we do a better job at everything else we do. We do a better job at work. We do a better job as a parent. We do a better job as a spouse because we're coming from a good place. And when we're not coming from a good place, we don't do so well. And so that's another way to kind of help give permission is to realize it's not just about you. When Megan teaches her, you know, was it fitness, personal, Mm -hmm. then it helps so that she's better able to do her other things. It it actually helps your kids. It helps your spouse. It helps other people. It's not selfish. It makes everything better. And it forces me for, in my example, um, group fitness, I am responsible for creating my own playlist, choreographing my own classes, 
So for me, if I'm having a week where, you know, I'm not getting my workouts in and those types of things, it forces me to listen to music that I love and move my body. So at least one time a week, really twice, because I do it in in preparation. And then again, during the class, um, I'm at least getting those two points. And when I'm doing those things, I know are great for me when I'm not able to prioritize it otherwise. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) And then boy, you've gone beyond permission. You're obligated to do some things that you love (laughs) and to listen to some music that's going to make you feel happy and joyful and to move your body. It's going to do all these great things for your body and mind. It's going to lift your endorphins. It's going to lower your cortisol. It's going to help your muscle tension. It's going to do all these amazing things. And I have to do it because I've got class coming up. And so win, 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 win. Yeah. And by the way, I got, I have to share this because I got started um, with this studio through a spin class. Um, I went with my mom and my sister and my sister-in-law and a friend, and I'd never taken a spin class before. And we get there and I hate it. I feel like I'm going to fall off the bike. (laughs) I swear I'm never going to come back. And I don't remember why I took a second class or bought a class pack, but I did. And a couple months later, the owner was looking for instructors and I had been coming for a while. And so she was like, if you can get this many more classes under your belt, you can qualify for instructor training. And so I went from, I hate this and I'm going to fall off this bike to teaching classes within a year. (laughs) Um, So if there's something that, you know, nothing is off limits, I guess, is the point of, of that. I love it. And how brave you are to give it a try. I think that makes a big difference. Sometimes we decide we hate things before we've even tried them. And you didn't just try it once, you tried it twice. So that is absolutely beautiful. Well done. Let's talk about relationships a little bit. So you got married very young and how, how, was it just happily ever after, just like you expected it? I mean, isn't that what we all expect when we're in high school and in love? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, No, it wasn't. Um, (laughs) So yeah, we had to me when we were 18. And when I told Drew that I was pregnant, I immediately followed that up with, I don't want to get married. Um, Because uh, if we were going to get married, it was going to be because we knew that we were right for each other and we loved each other and not because we had to because we were having a baby together. Um, I felt really strongly about that. And, um, you know, Drew was incredible through my, my whole pregnancy. He came to every doctor's appointments, um, the the whole thing and proved that he was a great dad. And we, you know, we were going to work. Um, and so we decided to get married. Um, so we did that when we were 20 and then continued having children. Um, we had two more and, um, you know, in those beginning years we were, you know, buying a house. We were both working full-time because back then, this is dating myself a little bit, but back then um, you got kicked off of your parents' health insurance when you were 19, if you were not a full-time student, which neither of us were. So we were working full-time so that we could have health insurance. We were both going to school at night. Um, At different points, Drew was also working additional jobs because we had multiple children in full-time care, which is very expensive. Um, so it was just, it was a lot. We were very much in hustle mode and we were accomplishing things, which was great. Um, but we were totally like not connected and we were too busy to even notice that. Um, 
And so later down the line, when things started to settle down a little bit and we were spending a little bit more time together, it became very clear that we were just not on the same page about a lot of things. Um, And so, of course, we should have gone to counseling, you know, prior to this, um, but we didn't. And we used counseling as a tool, like a last stitch effort sort of thing, which I don't recommend. Um, but we did. And actually at the time our after several sessions, um, our, that did not go well, our marriage counselor actually advised us to take a break. Um, it was the first time she had ever done that. And we did, um, we, I moved out for months and at that point I was like, we are done with this. Um, we took off our wedding rings. We saw other people. Um, for me, I was like, I'm never going back. That was, that was my mindset. Um, but eventually we found our way back together and things worked out until 2020 when, um, you know, I had been diagnosed with anxiety and depression, um, and went on medicine. The medicine wasn't the correct medicine for me. Um, I talked to Drew, I talked to my doctor, we decide together that I'm going to wean off the medicine because I thought that I had the tools and the resources and the habits and rituals that I needed to be okay without the medicine. Um, and had 2020 not gone the way it did, maybe I, maybe I would have been a little bit better, but, um, we did that in like January of 2020. And so when March of 2020 hit with the pandemic and everything shut down and everything was chaos and my kids were looking to me for answers that I didn't have. And, you know, they had access to the outside world and social media and they were wanting to do things and we could, and it was just like, it was a recipe for, um, a bad mental health experience. Um, and so I had, a significant bout of depression and I was in denial and Drew would say to me always in the middle of an argument, I need you to go back on your medicine. Um, and what he was saying in that moment was I can see that you need help and I can't help you. And I know that you've been on medicine before and I know that that helped you a little bit. So can you please do that? But what I was hearing from him at the moment was I can't be with you unless you're a watered down version of yourself. And so I need you to take your medicine. Um, and so my response to that was, well, then you can leave because I can't, I can't exist in a world where I can't feel my feelings at all. Um, so this isn't going to work. So again, he moves out. Um, and initially I was like, felt like I could breathe because I won. I blamed all of my problems on our relationship and I blamed those problems on him. Um, and while we both had work to do, what it came back to was me. I was the common denominator. I was, um, I had issues and I needed to find help. Um, so I did that and I, I went to therapy by myself. We went to therapy again as a couple. Um, we navigated some things. We reprioritized some things. We now understand finally that if we don't get enough quality time together, the two of us, where we don't talk about our kids and we don't talk about our bills and we don't talk about like life things, um, we can have like together time. Um, if we don't get that time, our relationship suffers. Um, and 
now when I'm experiencing anxiety or depression or those feelings start to come up for me, I'm very proactive in saying, hey, this is how I'm feeling today. Can you help me by X, Y, Z? Um, and of course, he's his own person. He can choose to do those things or not. But at least now I can verbalize what I'm feeling and I know what can help me. I know what I need to do for myself and I know what kind of support I need from the other people around me. Whereas before, um, if someone were to say, especially Drew, like, what can I do to help? It, I would just be like, I, I don't know. If you don't know what you can do to help me, then you're worthless. I, I, I don't know what to do. And that's really unfair. Um, but that was stemming from me not knowing myself well enough to know what I needed. And so that was putting all of my loved ones, but especially Drew in an impossible situation. This is amazing. I love how honest and open you are on this. I love to see your progression and your growth. It is amazing. And I see so much courage, courage to be able to say, I need some help, courage to be able to say, oh, actually I am doing some things wrong. That is amazing. I'm so proud of you. Years and years ago, we had uh, some couple friends and we were both newly married and we were chatting and we were talking about issues and struggles we were having. And, and it was, you know, a nice conversation. Then 10 years later, we came back and had a little chat and I was so surprised that she was talking about the exact same problems, the exact same struggles. They had not progressed at all. They were in the same place that they were before. And I thought, well, dang, that is really sad. And I'm so proud that as you're going through that it's, yeah, this was hard and this was hard, but look at the growth, look at the progression. And I love the idea that marriages can be beautiful again. I, we know, everybody knows because we, we look around, we have eyes that marriages can deteriorate, but not everybody knows that marriages can be rejuvenated. And that is so, so important to know because when you're in that place of, you know, I really do not want to be in the same room as this person. I can't stand their talk. I can't stand their laugh. I can't, they're driving me crazy. And then you think, well, that's as good as it gets. Then we're done. And to realize that from that place, things can get better. You can actually fall in love again. You can enjoy each other's company. You can be best friends again. And I think it's so important to know that that is a possibility because not everybody knows that that can be the case. And I'm so grateful that you did what you did because now you're an example of saying, hey, it's okay. A good marriage doesn't mean that we have never had any problems. It means, you know, we don't give up on each other when we're yeah. doing the best that we can. I also love the example that you gave where when he said, I think you should get on your medication, then that brings up a whole story from us. I had a wonderful conversation with a marriage therapist and she said that something that they use in their marriage and she teaches her clients is when somebody says something and you can feel that story going on, um, that they say, what I make up about what you just said is, and then you share what it is that, that you thought it meant. And that does a couple things. One, by saying what I make up about what you just said, you're admitting at least on some level that what you think they're saying might not be what they actually mean. And then by sharing your story, that lets them in on what's going on in your head and they can clarify it. And, they, and then they might say, oh no, 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 that's not what I meant at all. What I was trying to say was, and it gives that chance for clarification. 
So if you can catch it in the moment and say, oh, what I make up about what you just said is, and now my husband and I use it because we think it's funny. And um, so it's just, it's just helpful to realize that in our relationships, I mean, there might be two people and yet there's that, all these stories were going on. So it, it can be far more than what's actually taking place. I might be adding new characters and new, new storylines that have nothing to do with reality, but they sure seem real in my head, you know? Yes. And, and, you know, it's not always easy to catch these things in the moment. Um, but even going back and having the conversation after the fact, um, I'll share a very recent example. My grandmother made me, um, Irish potatoes, which is, um, like a, something that we do to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. And I came home and I had not had these in my house for 24 hours and they were almost all gone. And I was, I flipped out totally like my reaction was way, um, above, you know, what was warranted. And, you know, my husband was kind of like, you're crazy. Like, why are you acting like that? Um, and so later I came back and first apologized for the way that I behaved, but then further explained, like, when you guys did that, I felt like I didn't matter because you definitely did not take my feelings into consideration because this is a special thing that my grandmother made for me. Nobody asked me, could I have one? You just took it upon yourselves to eat them all. Like that sends me the message that nobody cares about me and I don't matter, which is a childhood wound. I'm going to cry about it now. Um, and that's obviously not what they meant, but that's what I experienced. Um, and so by going back and verbalizing it later, I can prevent future problems because now they can see where I'm coming from. And I say they, because it's not just my husband. It was my children <laughs> that were involved in that as well. Um, but that requires a lot of self-awareness. Um, and I think that, you know, to find that level of self-awareness, you really do need to go to see a therapist because they can bring these things out of you. Isn't that helpful? And I love that this idea of bringing it up later can mean that it's okay if I don't do it right the first time, because mm -hmm. I may not respond perfectly to every situation. And I might be upset about something. And if you ask me why, I honestly can't tell you because I haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. Sometimes we have to figure out what it is that's bothering me. And I love when you present this kind of thing, that it wasn't done in an accusatory, you don't treat me with any respect. You yeah. don't love me. It was from, this is how I feel. This is how I feel. This is how this made me feel. Because then it's not accusatory. You're explaining right. from your point of view how that made you feel. And you have every right to your feelings. I mean, there's no excuse. You're, you're allowed to feel all of your feelings. And nobody can, needs to tell you, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Because that is so not helpful. But to be able to say, this, this, is, this is how that made me feel. And then it gives the other person some power to either say, oh, I will respect your feelings, or they could be a jerk and do not that. And yeah. depending on, on where they're at, but usually if we present things in a, in a positive way, we, we really want to help each other. We want to do good by each other. So that's very, very helpful. So thank yeah. you. You have been amazing. Is there anything you want to make sure we cover before we close today? Um, no, I just always want to make sure that it's loud and clear that help is available and to seek help. Not only does it not make you um, weak or unworthy in some way, it's actually quite the opposite. I think it makes you a very strong person. 
Um, and when you have the help that you need, you're able to be there for the people that love you um, and that you love back in such a bigger and better way. And life can just be um, so much brighter. It doesn't have to be the way that it is right now. Mm, I agree 100%. Thank you, Megan. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by Thales. He said, the most difficult thing in life is to know yourself. Today, I invite you to discover who you are and get to know yourself. See you next time on Linda's Corner. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Linda's Corner, please share and subscribe to help us reach new listeners. I also invite you to check out my nonprofit, Hope for Healing, at the website hopeforhealingfoundation.org for free ebooks, free audiobooks, and other free resources to help increase happiness, build confidence and self esteem, strengthen relationships, manage stress, and calm feelings of depression and anxiety. I also invite you to grab a copy of one of my books, like Crushed A Journey Through Depression, or Amazon bestseller You Got This An Action Plan to Calm Fear, Anxiety, Worry, and Stress. See you next time on Linda's Corner.